I am not Pastor Jeff. He is actually on vacation. I talked to him about 9.30 last night. He was picking up his three grandchildren. The entire family is going to be in St. Augustine, so he is having fun today and all this week. He will be back next Sunday. My name is Bill Hackett. As uh, Some of you might know me. I've been here before. Yes, I'm the guy who has the lights come on when he speaks so he can see there's people out there. And uh, I'm actually a professor at Southeastern University here in town and also the provost, which is the chief academic officer. About nine and a half years ago, uh, Southeastern actually went through a presidential change. And uh, I remember that change. I was actually asked, along with another faculty member, to be on a committee that would search for the new president. It was an interesting committee. It was a committee that uh, me and the other uh, professor were never asked to come to any of the meetings. So it was, it's actually, I don't, that's kind of a good thing at times when you're on a committee, you don't have to show up. But they asked us not to come, but just to be kind of the spokesperson to the faculty to give updates to them as to the presidential search. Well, that search went on for two years. Uh, one of the board members became the acting president. I always thought that was an interesting term, acting, uh, because he fit that well. Uh, but anyway, uh, the school went through probably a kind of a two-year drought or a time where we were just kind of treading water, not moving forward. Uh, we lost hundreds of students during that time. And uh, we, we were getting frustrated. A lot of uh, people were writing to the board and complaining and uh, both faculty, staff, students, uh, people in the community, when are you gonna get a president? And actually, one of the members of the board, Wayne Blackburn, you might have heard his name before, uh, Wayne Blackburn was on the board and he listened to those concerns. And he went to the board and he said, you know, guys, we need to do something different here. Uh, the committee has looked for two years, hasn't even come up with a candidate that we've uh, looked as close to being there. So uh, we need to change. Well, the board listened to him, and they actually made him the chair of the search committee. And I can remember right after that happened, Wayne uh, called the other faculty member and myself to his office out on the north side, and he said, uh, you guys are going to be in the meetings. And he said, we're going to have a new president at Southeastern University here in uh, probably about three months. And he said, I don't mess around. I go after things, and I make things happen. Well, that was good news for us to hear. That was in November. In December, we actually were in a meeting in Atlanta with the board interviewing candidates already. And one of those candidates, I remember being in there uh, asking this question of him. I said, what is your vision for Southeastern University? Seemed like a logical question to ask. And uh, Dr. Engel, who is actually the president now at Southeastern, answered this way. He said, I'm not going to come bringing in my vision. I'm going to come and I am going to listen to the faculty, the staff, and the students, and the community, the alumni, and we will, I I'm going to hear what they have to say, and we will form a vision together. And I I'll tell you, right there he had my vote, even though they didn't let me vote, but... He had my vote. I said, this is the guy I would like to see. Well, the, the committee actually chose to bring him in. The board voted on him. He came, uh, became president that December of that year. And then the university went through what we call the, uh, the, the biggest listening exercise that we ever had. We formed together several uh, kind of uh, listening groups, focus groups, 
with students, with faculty, with the community, with staff, with administrators, uh, with alumni, and we asked, what do you see as, as the future for Southeastern University? Out of that, we, we discovered that there was a great interest in football. There was an interest in, in, in Southeastern developing a doctoral program. Uh, there was interest in Southeastern developing a nursing program. And I look back now and all those things we have accomplished, in fact, we just don't have one doctoral program, we have four doctoral programs. We have a nursing program and we've already graduated several classes of nurses. We have a football stadium, you ought to come to one of our games sometime in the fall, hopefully lightning not happening that night. Uh, we are the fire, but we are not the lightning. Uh, but come to one of our games and enjoy it. We have really a Class A stadium. It's actually called Victory Field, all right, because Victory Academy, which you saw on the screen earlier, actually play their football games there on Friday night, and we play our games on Saturday night. But it's something to come. If you come during our alumni time, uh, homecoming, you'll see fireworks that really are unbelievable. I don't think you've had your fill of fireworks you know, I know it's been the fourth this past week, but, you know, there's always more to have. But, but I look back on that time, and I, and I think about what would have happened if Wayne Blackburn hadn't listened and responded to what he heard. What would have happened if we hadn't listened to the candidates that we, we brought in and, and chosen the right one? What would have happened if we hadn't listened to Dr. Engel, the school came, when he came, the school was running 2,400 students. Last year, we were 7,300. This year, we planned to top 8,000. Uh, we have uh, over 100 extension sites. The program is just growing all the time. And it's because he is always saying to us, Dr. Engel saying, listen, it's kind of a, an interesting thing. How many times maybe have you asked yourself, when you've gotten into trouble, oh, if I only had listened to my parents or to my boss, or here's a good one, to my spouse, all right? Or, or to my coach or to my teacher, you know, it, it just goes on and on. To my grandparents, if I only had listened to them, you know, what would have happened if I had listened? And there, there's a passage that we're going to look at today in the Old Testament in Jeremiah. It's an interesting passage because it's a passage where the people hadn't been listening. Pretty much the, the portion that we're going to look at today really explains the situation. Jeremiah is a prophet speaking to them and, and telling them God's word, and they're not listening to him. So I, I think they'll put this on the screen. Jeremiah 25, verses 1 to 11. Jeremiah 25, 1 to 11, it says this, The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, verse 3, For 23 years, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Abin, king of Josiah or Judah until the very this very day the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you again and again but you have not listened and though the Lord has sent all his servants the prophets to you again and again you have not listened or paid any attention 
They said, the prophet said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. In other words, the idols they have made with their hands. Then I will not harm you. But verse 7, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with your hands, what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. And I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. Verse 10, I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. In other words, business as usual is not going to be as usual anymore. Verse 11, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years of punishment, you might say, because they didn't listen to the prophets and to Jeremiah who spoke to them again and again for 23 years. Now, this is an interesting background because it, it takes us to a passage of Scripture that I often hear quoted. In fact, as students at times tell me, this is my life verse. Sometimes when somebody's graduating, maybe from high school, we might put on their card this particular passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for you to prosper and so forth. The problem with that, looking at that verse all by itself, we don't look at the context. In fact, many of us probably have never heard verse 10, which comes before it, unless we have read it in our Bible. And look at what it says. This is verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my pro good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me. Well, yeah, after 70 years, horrible years, years of desolation, maybe then we'll get smart enough to listen to the Lord and come to him. And I will listen to you, he says. And verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart, with all of your heart. Sometimes it takes a difficult time in our life to catch our attention to cause us to listen to God. Sometimes even in our own life, like I said, it takes a difficult time before we actually look back and think about what our parents or our grandparents or our spouse or maybe even our children or a friend told us and said, hey, if you'd only have listened to me in this situation, this wouldn't have happened to you. We, I think we've all probably been there. If not, you ought to be up here speaking. Because I think we've all gone through those sort of times that we haven't listened to God. It's amazing to me, again, that we quote Jeremiah 29, 11, and we don't even know verse 10. 
and totally miss the context as well as the context in Jeremiah 25. No, if you look at those passages, God had a plan for them from the beginning, just as he has a plan for us for the beginning. But sometimes that plan is delayed because we're not listening to God. And it has to wait, it has to be put on hold until we get to that place that we finally listen to God. I, I remember sharing this with Pastor Blackburn probably about three or four months ago, just this kind of concept. And I said, this verse scares me. And a typical Wayne Blackburn response is, it ought to. It ought to scare you. Because I wonder at times, am I truly at a place where I'm hearing from God? Am I listening to God? Matthew 25, there's three parables in there. And the last one in that chapter always scares me as well. Jesus is coming back. He sets up his kingdom. And he, he calls the sheep and the goats, the people that follow him and those that don't, before him. And he says this. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick, and you came and visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. I was a stranger or an alien, a foreigner, and you took me in. And the people said, well, when will we do this to you? And he said, as much as you did it unto the least of these, your brothers, you did it unto me. In other words, these people, when they had a nudge to do an act of kindness, when they had a thought that maybe they ought to do something, they responded to it. Maybe they realized that that was listening to the voice of God. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but a lot of times I've had what I call God thoughts. I had a thought where God said, go do this. Do this act. And I know it's not me and my selfishness saying that. I don't think it's sat satanic in doing it. I really believe it's God saying to me, this is what you ought to do. Feed the hungry, care for the poor, you know, reach out to those that are hurting, visit the sick. Those thoughts come. Do I respond to those thoughts or not? In other words, do I listen to God? Then he calls the goats and he says this. He says, I was hungry you didn't do anything. I was thirsty. You didn't do anything. I was sick. You didn't do anything. I was in prison. You didn't come see me. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. And again, they say to him, when did we do this? And he says, as much as you didn't do this, to the least of these, your brother, you didn't do it to me. You know, God moments are kind of interesting because they're not always come with fireworks. Sometimes they just come in awkward moments where God speaks to us through a thought or a feeling or an idea and asks us to do some act of kindness and generosity, do we listen to that or do we push it off and say, that was what I ate this morning. That was the pepperoni pizza last night. That was, that's not what I'm supposed to do. That's awkward. That's inconvenient. Somebody else will do that. Are we listening to God? And, and so how important it is to listen to what God is saying. If you were here last week, you remember Pastor Jeff talking about having wisdom. And he said, do we trust in God? Do we trust in the character of God and who he is? Do we listen to God? Because when he speaks to us, we know what he's saying to us is truthful and beneficial and right. 
And, and it's scary as we look at some of these verses in, Ma- in Jeremiah 25, verse 7, it says, But you did not listen to me, said the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourself. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to my words, in verse 8, He says in verse 11, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's often difficult to anticipate the full effect and reach of willful sin. Who among the people could have guessed that not listening to God would cause 70 years of desolation? I wonder how many years in my own life have been wasted or desolate because I didn't listen to God. I know I didn't become a Christ follower until I was about 24 years of age. So I look back even at that and say, in those first 24s, what if I had become a Christ follower at the age of 5 or 12 or 16? What a difference my life might have been if I've done that. Well, thank God I became a Christ follower 24 years. But I look at those 24 years, those first 24 years, as years to waste. That maybe I missed out on so many things that God would have me. Where would I be today if I had listened to God and paid attention to the, the spiritual atmosphere that was around me and I chose to reject and go my own way? And so it raises the question, what is listening? And I think they'll put on the screen a couple of definitions for you. What is listening? Listening is a posture of attentiveness. In other words, we're staying and saying, I'm ready to go. You know, if you're a student in your class, and since I'm a professor, I really like this. When somebody fits in the, sits in the first row with their computer open or with a, a pad and, and, and a pencil and a notebook or something like that, okay, teacher, teach because I'm ready to take notes. The worst thing that a teacher hates is the student sitting maybe in the back row going, <sighs> when is this thing going to be over? Oh, I'm getting a text. And, and I wonder, <laughs> who's paying the bill for you being here? Obviously, you're not, right? Because you wouldn't waste your time listening in a posture of attendance which acknowledges the presence of another. Do we do that with God? Do we do that with our spouses? Do we do that with our children? Do we do it with our parents? Do we do it with our friends? Do we posture ourselves and say, hey, I'm ready to really listen? You know, kind of like, hey, I'm here. Look at me. Listening is an exercise in interdependence, not independence, not dependence, but interdependence, and communicates that one has a teachable spirit. People used to ask me, what are you looking for in a leader? And I would say, I'm looking for a fat leader, flexible, available, and teachable. Fat leader. Flexible, available, and teacher. Somebody who will listen, all right, and doesn't know it all. Well, as opposed to what is it to, me to not listen? And I think you'll see that on the screen. Not listening is a posture of arrogance. I already know it all. What do I need to listen to you for? What you're saying to me is not important. It ignores the contributions of another. It demeans the other person. We don't put ourselves in a place to hear from God. If we do not hear him speak to us, we ignore it. 
He's speaking to us at times. Do we set a time up in our life to listen to God? Do we do that on a regular basis? Not listening is an exercise in interdependence. I need him. I need him. And he chooses to work through me and to you and through the church to do his work. That's his choice. And he likes that interdependence. But it first comes by us depending on him and listening to him. Which, it, you know, not doing that is, is a rebellious spirit. As opposed to not listening to exercise in independence. I don't need God. I can do this all by myself. That's what the people in Jeremiah's time were saying. We've got it all together. Things are going fine. Why do we need to listen to Jeremiah and the other prophets? We don't need him. We're okay. And sometimes it's, it's worse to be rich than to be poor because we have it all. Why do I need God? Well, the poor had nothing. They need God. The rich, they have everything together. Maybe that's why Jesus says it's so difficult at times for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we in this country are rich. I know you're probably not Bill Gates. If you were, I'd invite you to make a contribution to Southeastern University or to Victory Church. We'll name a stadium after you if you'd like, whatever. Just give us a couple million dollars. We'll take care of that, right? But compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. You make over $45,000, you're in the top 10%. You make over $55,000, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. But we don't see it that way. And, and the danger of that is I'm okay. I have things together. Why do I need God? And then last, by not listening, the people of God brought harm to themselves. Well, that's what he's saying here. The word for listening in the Hebrew is the word shama, S-H-A-M-A. Shama speaks of listening and obeying, not just hearing what God has to say, but putting it into action. Shama speaks of undivided attention and is applied to understanding. It's a spiritual discipline. In other words, we have to work it into our life to listen to God. And at the time in biblical history, God's people had become independent from God. They didn't need God. And so God took all the things that made them independent from him away till they finally got to that place they, they would cry out to God. Then he said, hey, well, I've been waiting for this because I have a plan for you. Here's the plan. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope. Plans for your future. And so that's what he wants for us. Maybe things happen in our life because we're not listening to God. Maybe we're not listening to God in, in, in sins of commission, sins that we choose to do and think that, hey, we'll be okay. I'll just come back later and repent. Yeah, I read the story of, of David, King David, in 2 Samuel. And it, there's a chapter where it starts out. It says, in the spring when kings go off to war, David stayed at home. And the first thing I realized there is that David was, was doing his own thing. I think he probably felt like I've arrived at that place. I don't have to go off the war like other kings with their troops. I'm at that age that I can stay home. And one day he goes up and he looks out over, you know, his kingdom and he looks out and he sees a woman bathing on another rooftop. And he invites that woman to his house. He has sex with her. 
She happens to be married to one of his you know, officers, one of his lieutenants. He finds out that she becomes pregnant. And so in order to cover his sin, what does he do? He brings that lieutenant home and tries to get him to go to bed with his wife, and he won't do it because he knows that lieutenant knows the other troops don't have that luxury. That lieutenant is more righteous than David. And so David sends him back, carrying a note that says, take him right into the heart of battle and withdraw the rest of the troops and let's see what happens. And the lieutenant is killed. David covers his sin. He thinks until a prophet that he has, Nathan, comes and tells him a parable about a fellow that stole somebody else's sheep as opposed to all the sheep that he had. Now, David had been a shepherd, and so he was real anxious when somebody steals somebody's sheep because he knows what it means to be a shepherd. And he said, that guy ought to be taken care of. And Nathan says, you are the man. Now, two things we can say there. Thankful that Nathan listened to God and took the risk to talk to David. He could have had his head chopped off at that point. But David listened at that moment. Now, there's times that I look at that passage and say, maybe I can get away with great sins like David and still repent. Well, maybe you can take that risk. But what if you don't listen to God and you don't repent and you miss out on that opportunity? At the same time, and looking at David's life, even though he committed murder and adultery, he still was a man after God's own heart, but his life was never the same. After that, it was never the same. Do I want my life to be that way? And so I have to be careful when it comes to sins of commission. We all have to be careful. And then there are the sins of omission. Knowing what to do and not do it, James tells us, is sin. Knowing to feed the poor or to feed the hungry or to take someone in or visit somebody and not do it is sin. They're cast away from God. So failure to do acts of kindness when the Holy Spirit speaks to us puts us in a place that we need to listen to God. That's interesting. If you read the book of Revelation in the second and third chapter, he talks to seven churches, prophesies to them. But to each one of them, he closes the statement with it, this statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To each one of the seven churches, he makes that. He who has ears to hear, needs to hear what the Spirit is saying to them. It sounds similar to what something that Jesus said in Mark 4, 23 and 25. I think they'll put it on the screen. Jesus starts out by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him listen to what is being said. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he says this, carefully consider what you hear, Jesus says. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. It's interesting because, again, here's a, a verse that we take out of context. We use this verse to talk about giving. If you have and you give, you'll be given more. If you don't have, what you have will be taken away. It, it, it seems to be nice, but that's not the context. It's regarding hearing. Are you listening to God? If you're listening to God, God will give you more to listen to, more to enhance your life, more to, to give your life prosperity and hope 
and assurance and security. But if you're not listening to God, what you have will be taken away. God might not talk to you anymore. You might go through times of desolation like Israel had to go through. Again, that's kind of a scary thing. Am I listening to God? Because if I don't, he might stop talking to me. He might leave me in that place where I'm not hearing from God anymore and I feel lost and empty. And so I'll have to cry out to God like it says in Jeremiah 29. And finally he will listen and he will turn things around because we were independent of him. We didn't need him. So we need to get to that place that we listen to the word that we have received from God. Even today, listening to this. Well, what do you do? How do you place yourself? What are some practical things that I can do to enhance my listening to God? Well, one simple one is spend quiet time in solitude in his presence every single day. The world might call this meditation. And there's nothing wrong with meditation because God talks about meditate on who he is. Spend quiet time with God. Well, where can you find time to do that? I find out getting up early in the morning works out from the hours of 5 in the morning to 7 in the morning is my quiet time. Nobody's calling. Nobody's sending me a text. You know, my wife is not asking me for a conversation or anything like that. She's asleep. You know, it's an uninterrupted time where I can listen to God. Is there anything you want to say to me, God, about my life? Anything you want me to do? It's within that time I can also listen by reading the Bible. I have a plan that takes me through reading the Bible in a year's time. It takes me about 20 minutes a day. And I go through the Bible every year and I try to change translations. So I hear things different. But out of that time of reading, I say to God, is there something in this that you want me to do? Today, because I go through Proverbs every month and I read the, according to the day, I read that chapter in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8 I read today, right? Because it's July 8th. That's a chapter on wisdom, talking about wisdom and what wisdom will do for us. And as I was looking over that, and I read it, and I have read it, I don't know, hundreds of times before. I just, what are you trying to say to him? Bill, seek wisdom. Never stop seeking wisdom. It will help you in all your life. So there's something right there, right? So have a plan to read through the Bible and do it. Try to do it daily. You don't have to read as quickly as, as me and going through the Bible in a year's time. Take 10 minutes. Do you have 10 minutes in your day that you could spare to listen to God in his word and have him speak to you? Learn the various ways that God speaks to us. Like I said, God has never spoke to me in an audible voice, but I know he does it. It says it in the Bible. And I've asked students at times, has anybody ever heard God speak in an audible voice? And I'll usually have two or three hands go up, so I know he does it, right? He's just never spoken to me that way. But he speaks to me through thoughts and ideas that come to me that, again, I say are not mine. He speaks to me through other people, speaks to me through sermons like Pastor Jeff or Wayne Blackburn or friends or my wife or my family are those people that mentor my life. He speaks to me through other people. He speaks to me through experiences. He speaks to me when I'm in the shower or when I'm by a body of water. Maybe for you, it's the woods. Maybe it's a forest. 
that you just kind of get alone and you feel God's presence. And you know this is an avenue where God speaks to you. So God speaks to us in different ways. It's interesting, just about uh, two or three months ago, as provost, I had one of those days where I had to tell six faculty members, we're not renewing your contract. That's the worst part of my job. I will actually say to you, and I hope it's permissible, that sucks, right? But they pay me to be the chief academic officer, and when somebody is maybe not performing up to par or just not doing things, or, or maybe just, you know, they're not the right fit for the job, you have to let them go. And so I had that one-day schedule where I was going to meet these six individuals one-on-one and go through my day. It was on a Thursday, a bloody Thursday, I don't know. And, and I had a close friend that I knew was praying for me. And I got up that morning, and I'm just praying, Lord, let this day go well. And I, I go through several devotional books in addition to reading through the Scripture. And I, I came across a devotional book that I read every day. It's written by Sarah Young. It's called Jesus Calling, Enjoying, presence, enjoying Peace in His Presence. And, and, and what she does in this book, what Sarah does, is she writes as if God is speaking to you in the book. You know, this is the Lord saying this, all right? And, and this is the one that I read that day. It's kind of interesting. It says this, as you go through this day, trust me to provide the strength you need moment by moment. Man, I was trusting God that day. She said, don't waste energy wondering whether you are adequate for today's journey. My spirit within you is more than sufficient to handle whatever this day may bring. This, that is the basis for your confidence. In quietness, spend time alone with me and confident trust, relying on my sufficiency is your strength. Now, I'll tell you, that day I felt like God was speaking right off the page of that devotional into my life for what I had to face. And afterwards, I thought about, what if I hadn't done my devotions that day? Oh, maybe I would have gotten through it. Maybe it would have been okay. But I know that word in that book spoke to me and gave me hope and assurance for the day. It was interesting on how well those meetings were, went. And it was interesting, one of the fellas actually said to me, he said, this must be hard for you. Let me pray for you. And I'm thinking, this is not right. I'm supposed to be saying that to him. But that's how sometimes God can, can turn things around to pray for you. So my question today for you, will you commit yourself to God and say, will you commit yourself to listen to him, to hear his still, small voice? Psalm tells us what? Be still and know that I am God. God wants to speak. He has plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans to give us hope, plans that won't harm us, plans for our good. He wants the very best for us. That's why he gave the best for us. Will we take time to listen to him each and every day? Set aside a time, quiet time, and maybe even through the day, send up a little prayer. Lord, is there something before I go into this meeting before I deal with this situation, before I confront this individual, Lord, is there something that you want to tell me that will help this meeting, this time, this situation go better? What is God saying to you today? What is he saying to you through this message? And what will you do about it? Are you with me?
Are you ready to listen to God? God, help us to have ears to hear. You've given them to us, but we really want to hear and listen to you. Maybe there's situations here today, God, that people have been praying about, and they're looking for an answer, and it hasn't come yet. Lord, and if there's individuals in that situation, I pray for them that maybe today is the day that they will really hear what you're having to say and speak into their situation. Speak and give them hope. Speak and let them know that you're there and you love them so. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you and you've been speaking to them and and this is the day that they are to give their heart to you, let them just maybe raise their hand at this moment so that I might see and pray for them. If there's anyone here that God's speaking to, All right, it's good. I see no hands. Hey, I guess you're all believers. Good stuff. So, Father, we we thank you for your word today. Lord, let us put to use and make it a part of our life. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, have a great day. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, praise God.